Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 25. Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. If you found it, say amen. And straightway, Jesus constrained. Straightway, Jesus constrained. Why don't you look at somebody close to you or across the way and say, straightway, Jesus constrained. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Everybody say, in the middle of the sea. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Verse 22 said, Straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. I want to preach for a little while this morning on the subject, Don't be late for your storm. Don't be late. For your storm. God, I thank you, Lord, for your presence and for your people that are here, this wonderful congregation of men and women and young people who have come to serve and to worship you. I ask you, Lord, to anoint the preaching of your word. I know the word itself is already anointed, but I need you to help me preach. God, and I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit would say. That, God, we could grab hold of this living word and mix it with faith, O oh God. That we could grow in your presence. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Not by power or might, but by your spirit. Confirm your word with signs following in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. give the Lord a great hand clap of praise. And lift your voice with that hand clap. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Matthew chapter number 14 is one of the most interesting passages of Scripture. It's definitely in the top 1,189 chapters of the Bible. This chapter begins with the story of how John the Baptist was conspired against and beheaded. The scheming of Herodias and her daughter to get the king drunk and convince him to kill John sent shockwaves through the religious community in Jerusalem. The Bible tells us of Jesus' response to John's execution. Matthew 14 and 13 says, when Jesus heard of it, when he heard about how John had been beheaded. He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. Jesus left the city and went to the wilderness. But as word that Jesus was close by began to spread throughout the region. People came from the cities and the towns and the villages to find him. The crowd began to grow. It turned into a multitude. And the Bible said that Jesus had compassion on them and healed their sick. As Jesus healed them and taught them, the hour began to grow late and the shadows began to grow long. Verse 15 of Matthew 14 
says, and when it was evening, everybody say evening. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. They came to Jesus, the disciples did, and they said, it's a desert place. It's a wilderness. There's, it's, not a, it's not like being in a city. It's a desert place. And the time is now past. The day is over. It's long. It's late. The Bible said it was evening time. The day was spent. The night was approaching. The darkness was coming and the people were hungry. I always thought that the disciples just think, thought, well, we don't have enough food, but it wasn't just the fact that they didn't have food. People can survive a night. I know we don't think so, but people can survive a night without food. But it wasn't just the fact that there was no food. It was also the fact that it's a desert place. It's the wilderness, and it's getting late. We can't send the people onto these wilderness roads in the dark. There's no street lights. There's no flashlights. There's no lanterns to help them to guide through the darkness of the wilderness. Nighttime is coming, and these people need to go. It's a common theme in humanity to be apprehensive of the darkness of night. It's called nyctophobia. 32% of people report that being in the dark makes them uneasy. Another 29% say they're just simply afraid of the dark. They don't, they're afraid to be in the dark. Only one out of every four respondents reported that they don't mind being in the dark, but less than 4% of people say they actually like the darkness. It's a modern statistic with street lamps and motion lights and other forms of illumination, but in the Bible times, there were none of these. When it got dark, it was dark. Darkness in the Bible times was all-encompassing. I remember back a few years ago, I was in Ethiopia. When I say a few years ago, I'm, I've gotten to the age where a few years ago is 30 years. So it's 29 years ago, I was in Ethiopia, and we were about, we took a 10-mile drive out of the capital, or 10-hour drive, rather, out of the capital into the wilderness, and outside of a small village, they had set up a platform on this open hillside and that was where we had conference and uh, we drove in that morning and when we got there there were a few people and by the time the crowd gathered there were tens of thousands of people the estimates ranged up to as high as 80,000 people and we're out here in the wilderness of Ethiopia and, uh, man, I was so excited. I was 23 years old, and I was ex it was an adventure to me. And we were staying in a grass hut. The floor of the grass hut was lined with banana leaves, and we had a little mat about an inch thick to sleep on. And, man, it was, it was an adventure. And uh, as it was an adventure until it got dark. And when I say it got dark, I'm talking it got dark. There were no lights. You open your eyes, and you cannot see your hand in front of your face. There is no light out there at all. And then you start hearing the monkeys in the trees screeching and the, and the, 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 the giant birds that look like as big as a truck. They, they start squawking and you're like, you're like, Lord, I wish I had more solid walls and a little bit of light. But darkness, darkness in the wilderness is a whole different deal than the darkness in a village or in a town or darkness now when there every so often is a dusk to dawn light. Darkness in the Bible was all encompassing and the disciples said, we've gotta get these people on the road and out of here before it gets too dark for them to travel because nighttime travel in the wilderness is dangerous. 
The roads are not well maintained and the darkness made them even more treacherous. The disciples' request of Jesus in verse 15 was not unreasonable. It's a desert place and the time is past. It's the wilderness and it's late. You've got to send them away. They've got to get something to eat. But Jesus had a different plan than they did. Verse 16 says, But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. Jesus was not daunted by the darkness. The darkness didn't scare him at all. The darkness didn't raise his anxiety whatsoever. Can I tell you that things that are big issues to the disciples are not big issues to Jesus? Things that worry you and I are not things that raise the Lord's anxiety levels at all. Jesus knew the disciples weren't carrying a mobile grocery store with them. He knew their resources were not enough to feed the multitude. But he knew he had everything it took to feed that crowd. Amen. So he said, what do you have? They said, well, we don't have anything except five loaves and two fish. He said, okay, then you bring it to me. And when they brought the loaves and the fish to Jesus, the Bible said that he blessed it, and then he broke it. And as he broke it, he began to hand it out. And he, the disciples brought him the food, and then he blessed it, and he began to break it. And then what did he do? Exactly, he gave it to the disciples. He didn't give it to the people. He gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people. Can I tell somebody today that God wants to bless you and put things in your hand so you can be a blessing to somebody that's hungry? Amen. Are you with me this morning? I want to tell a churchgoer that you're not just here to get a little bit of bread and fish for yourself. But you're here because God wants to put something in your hands that you can take to somebody that's hungry and they can get fed today. Amen. God wants to bless his people to be a blessing to the world. And so Jesus said, they need not depart, give ye them to eat. And then one of the greatest miracles of the Bible happened in Matthew 14, beginning At verse number 17, they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained, 12 baskets full, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So 5,000 men plus add the women plus add the children. Thousands of people fed because of five loaves and two fish. But I keep going back to the timing of this chapter because the Bible makes it very clear that the timing is a central issue in this entire story. It pointed out that when the miracle began, it was evening time. The disciples said, time is past. It's late. It's time for them to go. The miracle of the bread and fish happened at evening time. Now, the ancient people didn't mark calendars like we do. The modern clock had not yet been invented. So in the New Testament, if you don't study, when it starts referring to time, you don't really know what it's talking about. And so the way they marked time in the New Testament, the day was divided into 12 hours, what we call 6 a.m. To them, they called it the first hour of the day. And so then the third hour would be 9 o'clock. The sixth hour would be noon. When you read about the 11th hour worker, 11th hour was about 5 o'clock in the evening. And then the sixth hour would be 6 o'clock, the last hour of the day. And then when the day was spent, then the day, the nighttime was not divided into hours. It was divided into what they call watches. 
a watch. Not the watch you have on your wrist, but the watch, it identified how the night watchman, their shift that they would take as they would look out and make sure everything was right. The first watch started at the sixth hour and went to nine o'clock at night. The second watch went from nine o'clock to midnight. The third watch was from midnight to three in the morning, and the fourth watch began at three in the morning until six when the first hour began. Understanding the timing of this chapter is important to understanding the truths that God wants us to learn. On the heels of the great miracle of feeding the multitude with five loaves and two fish, Jesus told his disciples to get in a boat and go on to the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse 22 with me, Matthew 14 and 22. And straightway, everybody say straightway. And straightway Jesus constrained, everybody say constrained. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. Now that doesn't sound like a very impactful verse. But let's, obviously it's the center point of my message this morning. So let's look at what the word straightway means. Straightway means immediately or as soon as, directly. So they fed the, five lo- the, the, the multitude with the five loaves and two fish, and as soon as they gathered up the fragments, straightway, immediately, Jesus constrained his disciples to get in the ship. Straightway, immediately, he constrained. The word constrain means to force or to make, even if it means grabbing them by force and making it happen. Constrained is not a choice. Constrained is a demand. Constrained his disciples to get into the ship. Jaimito, do you want to come up here and sit? That's a request. Jaimito, come up here and sit. He's wondering if I mean it or not. (laughs) You get the difference? On one, I asked him if he wanted to. On the other one, I constrained him. And what I didn't say was if he wouldn't have come up, I was going to go down and grab him by the hand, and I was going to pull him up here. Because when Jesus constrained He did not give them the option of if they wanted to come up. You can just get comfortable there. We'll call him Bishop Jaimito for the morning. (laughs) And to make him a little more comfortable, I'll come over here to draw attention here so his blood pressure can go down. (laughs) And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. The New King James Version says it this way. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into a ship. Immediately, he made them. He did not give them the option, and he did not allow them to wait. He did not allow them to delay. Anybody know the term lollygagging? What's lollygagging? Take your own, just kind of meander your way. Lollygagging was not an option. It was not allowed. Jesus straightway constrained the disciples to get in the ship. Get in the boat now. Get in the ship right now. Do not wait. Come right now. My question to you is why is Jesus in such a hurry to get them in the ship? Why the rush? He wasn't in a hurry to start feeding them when it was still daylight. He waited till it started getting dark. But now, all of a sudden, he's in a hurry. He immediately made them get into the ship. What is it that's pushing Jesus to speed the disciples into the ship and onto the sea? What's the point, Jesus? Why are you in such a hurry? Why are you trying to make them get in the boat right now and not allowing them to take their time? 
He's forcing them into the ship right now. And what is he rushing for? I'm telling you today that he is not rushing them to avoid the storm. He's rushing them so that they won't miss the storm. He knows that they're fishermen. He knows that they can read the signs when the wind starts to kick up. He's going to have a hard time getting those fishermen into the boat onto the sea. So he has to get them in the boat on the water before the storm hits because otherwise they'll never get there. And so he's in this hurry to get them in the boat so that they'll be on the sea when the storm hits. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. That doesn't sound like the loving, cuddly Jesus we all learned about in Sunday school. It, 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 you know, he, he's not the teddy bear Jesus that we all thought. He's not trying to get them to miss the storm. He's trying to get them in the storm. Woo, hallelujah. He says, you get in the boat right now and you go to the other side and I'll send the multitudes away. Have you ever noticed that there are some things in life you can't go through with a whole bunch of people? That sometimes the closer you get to God, the smaller your circle gets. Everybody wants to be around when you're feeding people with loaves and fish and having miracles. But when the storm comes, you're not there with the, what happened to the multitude when the storm came? Your circle gets smaller the deeper you go in your walk with God. Don't be alarmed if people start not wanting to hang out with you. It's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because God's trying to get you to a different place in him. Sometimes the multitude has to go away so you can learn what God's trying to show in the storm. Jesus is not trying to kill them. He's trying to reveal something to them. Hallelujah. In another passage in the Bible, man, I've got a lot of stuff I want to talk about. In another passage in the Bible, there was another storm. That storm was sent by the enemy, and Jesus was in the boat, and he's asleep in the bottom of the boat. And the storm, the ship is about to sink, and the disciples go down in the hold of the boat, and they wake Jesus up, and they say, Master, don't you care that we're about to perish? And he says, oh, yeah, little faith. And he, 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 he gets out of bed. He steps up on the dock of the boat. And he says, peace be still. And immediately the wave calms. The sea stills. He goes back down and goes back to bed. When the storm is sent by the enemy, you can rebuke it. But when the storm's sent from God, you got to ride it out. Amen. I'm starting to get wound up a little bit. You all right over here? Bishop Jaimito, when you become a bishop, you got to not be Jaimito. That means little, little Jamie. So now, now that he's bishop for the day, we're just going to call him Jamie, all right? We're going to call him James, Bishop James. When the enemy sends a storm, you can rebuke it and it'll go away. But when it's God trying to teach us something, you can rebuke it all day long and the storm's not going anywhere. Jesus rushed them to get them in the storm. He wanted them in the storm. He wanted them to be caught up in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the sea at night because there's something they need to learn and they can't learn it on the bank and they can't learn it on calm seas. They can't learn it when everything's smooth. There's some things you can only learn by riding out the storm of life and figuring out that Jesus, what's he want them to learn? He wants them to learn that when you're in the storm, I can walk on the water to you. That the waves that you think are going to destroy you, I can walk on them just like it's a sidewalk. I can walk on it, and it's nothing to me. But they cannot learn that. They cannot learn that if they're on the bank. And they cannot learn that if everything's good. So he has to get them in the storm so they can learn who he is. Woo, hallelujah. Uh, woo, hallelujah. Can I tell you, you can have miracles in multitudes, but you can't always get revelation in a multitude. And sometimes the only way to get a revelation is to find yourself in the middle of something that you can't take care of on your own and you can't answer on your own. Can I preach to you a little while? 
I've come to preach to you that you don't want to be late for your storm. Jesus knows if we delay, they'll never get in the boat. But I got to get them in the boat because I need them to know that I can handle anything they can find themselves in. That they can find themselves in any storm in life and I can take care of it. But they've got to learn it on the sea. And so don't be late for your storm. I want to preach a little while longer. Hallelujah. The Bible said he sent the multitudes away and then he went to the mountaintop to pray. Now you are nervous. You got to relax those arms. Your hand's going to fall asleep. You're going to have some company in a minute. It's okay. You're not going to be in the ship by yourself. Jesus went to the mountaintop to pray. My question is, what was Jesus praying about? I know why I have to pray. I have to pray because sometimes people get on my nerves so bad that I want to pull what little hair I have out. I got to pray because sometimes my spirit gets so frustrated. I got to pray because I'm human. And I got to be more spiritual. I pray because stuff comes my way and I don't know how to deal with it. But Jesus doesn't, Jesus never had a bad spirit. I get a bad spirit sometimes. I almost gave myself one just now talking about wanting to pull my hair out. I almost gave myself a bad spirit right then. Jesus never had a bad spirit. Jesus never had a moment where he didn't know what to do. So what's he in the mountaintop praying for? I, it's my opinion that Jesus is on the mountaintop praying for the disciples that are in the storm on the sea. That he's interceding for them. Because it would be very easy for them just to turn around and go back. The winds already, the Bible said the wind was contrary, trying to blow them back. It would be easy, just let the wind have its way, and let's go back to the shore where Jesus is. But Jesus is praying for them so that they won't give up in the storm and miss what God is getting ready to do. Can I tell you that you're never in a storm that Jesus doesn't have you on his mind? You're never going through something where Jesus isn't thinking about you. The Bible said he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Can I tell you what's happening with Jesus right now? He's not over there enjoying looking at the doves flying. He's not over there watching the sunrise somewhere. What he's doing is right now he is making intercession for you so that you can make it through the storms of your life. There's never a moment. Is that what the Bible said? That he ever liveth to make intercession for you? If nobody else is praying for you, Jesus is praying for you right now. If nobody else cares about you, he is caring for you right now. And so while they're on the sea in the storm, Jesus is on the mountaintop praying. I've come to preach to somebody that's in a storm right now. Just go ahead and don't get too stressed out because there's a Jesus praying on a mountaintop. Lord, don't let them quit. Don't let them go under. Don't let the boat sink. I'm going to get to them, but until I get to them, help them not to give up. Hallelujah. Help me, Bishop Captain James. Grab that one and that one and this one. There's at least three more people besides you that's getting ready to be nervous. Brother, we, we need more leg room than that. It's hard for a big man to be in coach. That's good right there. Getting ready to constrain you. You're gonna, you're gonna be since you're the first one, you get to be the captain of the ship. Who else needs to be in the ship? Well, David, come on, be a be a be a good shipmate. Come on, come be in the ship for me. Amen. Anybody else need to be in the boat? She got people point. Okay, come on, JC, be in the boat. She was pointing at Will, so she wins the prize. <laughs> Play bad games, win bad prizes. So they're in the ship, and and the wind. They're trying to go this way, and so they're rowing. 
that way, and the wind is contrary to them, against them, trying to get them to go back. But while the wind is pushing them that way, back here on the mountaintop is Jesus praying them that way. And he needs them. You guys can row a little slower because your arms are going to get tired. He needs them to stay in the boat and not give up until they get to the other side. Because on the other side are miracles and revival and breakthrough. But some things you cannot walk in if you don't have a real revelation of who Jesus is. If he's only the one that multiplies the bread, then all your, the only time you'll ever think about him is when you got plenty of bread. And if he's only the one that heals, then the only time you'll think about him is when you're sick. But he needs you to know that when you're in the storms and trials of life, that he's right there with you. And the storm does not mean you've been forsaken. And the storm does not mean he's not thinking about you. But he has to teach them that, and he can only teach them that in the storm. And so when everything was smooth, he said, get in the boat right now and go. Have you ever felt like you've been rushed into a trial? That you've been pushed into a situation and you don't know how it's going to work out? Oh, yes, Lord, but Jesus is praying for them. And verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. Oh, that boat, that boat's getting them. Now they're tossed with waves. There you go. Tossed with waves. And they're struggling in the middle of the storm. But they're in the storm because Jesus put them in the storm. They're not in the storm because the devil did it. Let me tell you, everything you go through in life is not the devil. And when you tell somebody that's struggling with something that it's the devil and they know they didn't do anything to let the devil get in, then what you do is you damage their faith. You need to be careful telling people that their storm is from the devil because it might just be that God's trying to reveal something to them. Just mind your business and pray for him. Amen. Oh, yes, and the sea, the sea over time. I don't have time to preach all this, but the sea over time has represented wickedness and evil and danger. In Revelation, the Bible said the beast rose up out of the sea. Daniel said that the four winds strove against the great sea and four great beasts came up out of the sea. Two different places, a New Testament and Old Testament, talked about the great beasts in the sea. Can I tell you, have you ever been going through a storm and you've wandered on the sea of life and you've been afraid that there's something in the water coming after you? I'm going to tell you that by the time this message is over, I'm going to tell somebody you don't have to fear what's in the water. You don't have to fear what's coming up out of life after you. There's some people that you live your life scared to death that something from your past is going to come up out of the sea and get you. By the time this message is over, you put that fear to bed because he didn't put you in the boat so the beast could get you. Oh, yes. You don't have to live your life afraid of what's coming around the next corner and what's coming up out of the next wave. I've come to tell you that Jesus has the sea under control. Man, I, I just skipped three and a half pages. Praise God. And so they're, they're, they're tossed and they're rowing. The miracle was at evening. After evening comes the first watch. And so they're in the boat. Immediately he has to get them in the boat. And so he get, and for the first watch, they're rowing. How long is the first watch? It's three hours. Three hours of rowing. And they're struggling against a sea. How many of you guys, how many of you four, your arms starting to get a little tired? Three. Bishop Jamie's doing good. He's the only one that didn't say his arm. But they're not rowing against the sea. They're rowing against air. But these guys for three hours are rowing against a sea that the Bible said was contrary against them. The wind and the storm is pushing against them. The wind was contrary, trying to get them back over there where there's no revelation. Back over there where it's just miracles, but you never grow up. 
You want to know why some people are only come to church when things are going good, but not when things are going bad? Because they never grew up. They stayed on the seaside when they were supposed to go through the storm. They quit too soon. And so they never learned the lesson that you learn more about him in the storm than you do on the bank of the sea. You learn more about him through trial than you ever do when you're just eating bread and fish. It's great to have a little fish and bread on your mouth, but it's better to be in the sea and learn that in my darkest moment, he's there with me. And so they're rowing, and the first watch comes and goes, and then the second watch comes. How long is the second watch? Three more hours. The second watch comes and goes. Now, for all you math majors out there, six hours they've been rowing on this sea. And then the second watch is over and the third watch comes. How long is the third watch? Man, I feel like there's somebody out there that wishes they were up here. Because you're going through some stuff. Maybe you just thought, if I, if, maybe if I was up there, God would touch me. I, I got an empty seat for anybody that wants it. I'm not going to force you, but if you want it, you come on. You, all right, come on. There's another seat right here. You sit on it sometimes when you play the bass. So you get back. This, 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 this boat's going to have a curl at the end if we don't do something. These are the smart guys. They waited till the storm was half over before they started rowing. But now it's the third watch. And the third watch is how long? And so nine hours. They're toiling on the sea. Lord, where are you? When are you going to show up? You put us in the boat. You made us hurry up to get into it. You sped up the process. You didn't let us take our time. And this is what you rushed us for. This is what you've asked me to get in the boat for. Oh, yes, but here's what the Bible said in verse number, in chapter 14 and verse number 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. I don't know how long you're going to have to be in your storm. I don't know how long you're going to have to keep rowing. But I will tell you this, don't you quit and don't you turn around. And don't you give up, because at the fourth watch, Jesus is going to come walking on the sea. Your job is to keep going. Your job is to not quit. Your job is to not give up. Your job is to not turn around. Your job, I got to keep rowing. I don't know if I make it. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not getting anywhere, but I'm still not giving up. I feel like I'm in the same place I was in the first watch, and I haven't gone anywhere in the second watch or the third watch, but in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto, I'm telling you, he's coming into your storm. He's coming to your storm. Don't be late for your storm. hallelujah let me preach a little bit longer to you verse 26 and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were troubled saying it's a spirit they cried out for fear but straightway Jesus spake unto them saying be of good cheer it is I be not afraid hallelujah now notice they have the storm has not stopped yet but Jesus said it is I be not afraid. Don't be afraid of the storm because you've got company in the storm. You don't have to be afraid as long as Jesus is with you. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. Hallelujah. Only two people in all of history have walked on water. Now, you guys can, can take a little rowing rest for just a second. Scientifically, to walk on water, your density has to be 
lower than the density of the water. If the density of the object is higher than the density of the water, it displaces the water and you sink. The velocity of sinking is the weight and mass of the person plus the downward pull of gravity balanced by the resistance of the water pushing up. The short point is that when you step on the water, you sink fast. I, we, we got that pool put in, and so I wanted to test it out. And so I stood on the edge, and I wanted to see how long, how many words can I get out. So what did Peter say? Lord, save me. So I stepped off the edge of that, into that deep end, and I got to lower. And on the, on the last letter of Lord, I got a mouthful of water. And so I said two out of three. I just wasn't talking fast enough. And so I did it again. I stepped off, and I, I got lowered out, and that was it. So I tried it a third time. I never had time to say, Lord, save me. So here's Peter on the, everybody with me still? Here's Peter on the water. Look at verse number 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous. He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Now notice, just a few verses ago, the wind was contrary. But now, all of a sudden, the wind is boisterous. Contrary means against, but boisterous means violent. As soon, you want to be Simon Peter? As soon as he steps out on the water... The wind goes from just contrary to boisterous. It's like as soon as he takes a step out to try to go to Jesus, everything goes up another level around him. Well, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I shouldn't be trying to go to Jesus. Maybe I ought to just get back in the boat and calm down. Maybe I ought to not try to get closer to him. Maybe I shouldn't step out by faith. That's not the, that, 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 I made a mistake. I'm going to tell you, it's not that Peter made a mistake. It's the fact that when you start stepping out towards God, the wind gets crazier and tries to push you back in. Has anybody ever said, I'm going to get closer to God and then all hell breaks through in your life? Am I preaching to anybody? That as soon as you make up your mind, I'm going to start giving, I'm going to be more faithful. Then all of a sudden everything starts going wrong. It's because the wind wants you to settle down and calm down. But you've got to match the intensity of the wind with your own intensity. When the wind gets boisterous, just keep your eyes on Jesus. And so he, he makes a mistake. He gets his eyes off Jesus and he starts looking at the storm. And what happens? He beginning to sink. Beginning. Folks, I'm telling you, I did three tests. You do not ever begin to sink. You just sink. I got three mouthfuls of pool water that tell me that you do not begin to sink. You just sink. But my Bible and your Bible says that he beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. Lord, here I am out on the water. I need a miracle. Where's my miracle? Where's my miracle? Lord, where? Jesus, where's my, take, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm sinking, God. Where are you? Where, where's my help? I'm sinking. Why aren't you helping me, Lord? Why, where, I need your help, God. I'm in the storm, and I'm, I'm going under. I, I need your help. Where, God, Jesus, where, where are you? I need your help. I'm sinking. Let me tell you, if it wasn't for Jesus, you'd already been under. He worked a miracle letting your sink happen slow enough. Because if it wouldn't have been for him, you'd have gone under so fast that you wouldn't have been able to cry. So what he did is he slowed it down enough so you could come to church this Sunday morning while you're in the middle of your storm and reach up and say, Lord, save me. 
The only reason you're not already under it is because he gave you this opportunity to cry out to him. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And then Jesus reached out and took him by the hand. I'm going to tell you, the hand of God is reaching out here this morning. Don't be late for your storm. The hand of God is reaching out for somebody that's toiling on the sea. Lord, what am I going to do to get out of this storm? Well, here's what you do. Do the same thing you've been doing. Row, row, row your boat. Because if you quit now, you never see Jesus walking on the water. And the very thing that they were afraid was going to swallow them up was under his feet. And can I tell you, anything in your life that you are afraid is going to swallow you up, it's already under his feet. Just don't be late for your storm. Just say, God, show me what I need to get seen. Show me what I need to know. Help me through my storm. Help me learn what I need to learn because, God, I don't want to turn back in my storm. I wish somebody would wave the hand to heaven and say, God, thank you for telling me not to give up. Thank you for encouraging me. I can get through my storm. I've come to tell somebody it will not be your end. This sea will not be your graveyard. We're not going to have a burial at sea for you. This is just a chance for Jesus to reveal that he's on top of everything that's coming against you. You can make it. You can make it. You can make it. You can make it. I've come to tell somebody, You. I wish somebody would stand to their feet and say, I can make it. I want somebody that's been struggling. I want you to stand up and I want you to say, I can make it. I can make it through this. I can make it through the storm. I can survive the storm. Lift your hands all over this house right now. Oh, in the name of Jesus, release the gift of faith to somebody here, Lord. Release the gift of faith to somebody that's struggling in their storm. Oh, Jesus. Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I've come to tell you, somebody right now, just in the last couple of minutes, you thought this message won't work for me. In your mind, you thought that, was, that will work for someone else, but it won't work for me. Your eyes are closed all over this place. I want everybody's eyes closed. If you've had that thought in just the last couple of minutes, I want you to wave your hand up high and wave it at me so I know nobody else is looking around. There's at least 20 hands. I've come to tell you, God knows even what you're thinking in your storm. If he's not shown up yet, it's not your fourth watch. And so you keep rowing in the sea. In the name of Jesus, I come against the spirit of hopelessness. I bind it by the name of Jesus Christ. I take dominion and authority over it. There is no such thing as a storm that lasts forever. All storms have an expiration date. Help me pray right now. I feel a pause in my spirit. I feel a pause in my spirit because there's some stuff the Holy Ghost is working on somebody right now. Somebody's feeling faith be infused into their spirit. Lord, I loose the gift of faith to operate here. Lord, let revelation come to somebody that vanquishes their hopelessness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Oh, Jesus. Come on, let's just pray for a minute. Lord, let the power of your word penetrate somebody's heart this morning. As your hands are lifted all over this place, somebody needs a touch from heaven today. A little strength so you can keep rowing. Some of you have thought this storm must be because God's mad at me, something's wrong. I'm going through the storm because because of me. But you missed the whole part that straightway Jesus constrained his disciples. You're not forsaken. Your eyes are closed. If, if, If you thought there was something wrong with you and that's why you're in the storm, I want you to step out from where you are and I want you to come as close to the altar as you can. You gotta move quick. Just want you to move, I want you to move because God's getting ready to touch some people here today. If you've been battling hopelessness in your spirit, I want you to step out and come close. Come on, we're not, I'm, we're not, I'm not in a hurry. I got a busy afternoon, but I'm not in a hurry. I feel like God's here to do something for somebody. Come on, if you're in your storm, just go ahead and step out. You don't have to be ashamed. Look how many people are up here. Some storms are violent and some are just unrelenting. They're not necessarily terrible. They just feel like they're never going to end. Come on, the altar's open. I'm just giving you a chance. I'm giving you a chance to come. Don't be late for your storm. I already see some of you folks that are up here in the storm linked up with each other. Why don't you just start linking up with people and praying one for another the name of Jesus. Oh, that's right. Lord, let your peace that passes understanding move here. You can't quit. You got to keep rowing. Oh, yes, I know the wind is boisterous. I know there's been an uptick in the level of your storm. It went from contrary to boisterous. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, we're taking some time here. We're taking some time to minister to somebody. If you're in this altar and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you should seriously consider not leaving this building until you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. If you've never been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you ought to raise your hands to heaven right now and say, God, I want everything that you have for me. If it's been a long time since you had a breakthrough, Look, if you feel led to go pray for somebody, then go ahead. Even if you came up and you're in a storm, but you feel led to go pray for somebody, go ahead and obey the leading of the Spirit. Maybe you hadn't come up, but you feel somebody on your heart. Go ahead and go to them. Go up behind and put your hand on their shoulder, on their back, and begin to pray one for another. There's something powerful that happens to people who ride out the storm. Yes, Lord. Come on, I need a church that's spiritually aware. You need to keep your eyes open and see somebody. Your prayer can make all the difference. This is the body time to minister.
anointing of faith. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.
Hallelujah. We see how folks praying. Can we just stay tuned in to what the Spirit's doing for a couple more minutes? In the name of the Lord Jesus, strengthen someone, oh God, with the Spirit of your mind. Granted by the authority of your word and by the power of your name. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Brother Marshall, would you lay hands on Sister D? She's having hip replacement surgery in the morning. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Today would be a great day for somebody to be baptized in Jesus' name. attention for just a couple of minutes. We're going to dismiss very shortly. We're going to dismiss very shortly. First of all, I want to say to all of our guests again, thank you for being here. I can't stress enough how important it is to stay in the boat during your storm. Tonight is going to be fantastic. First of all, to our guests, we have meet and greet in just a second. As soon as I dismiss, if you'll make your way back there or help somebody get back there, Tonight, we have Bishop Holmes at 6.30. You are going to love this elder. You are going to fall in love with him. And so I hope you'll do everything you can to come. Are you listening to me? Will you come and bring somebody with you? Maybe make a call or a text this afternoon. It's going to be a great, great night. Her conference coming up this week and a lot of things going on. Amen. But I want to pray. I want to pray for just a moment. Because a lot of times when you start taking your step, the wind gets boisterous. And so somebody this afternoon, you may have to deal with some stuff trying to keep you from coming back. And so, Lord, I pray, God, for my brothers and sisters that are with us this morning, those that are watching and listening online, that you have touched with faith. God, I bind the enemy, the fowl of the air that would steal the seed. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, for your great strength and anointing, the blessing and the power of your spirit. God, touch my brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus. God, strengthen them with the spirit and the power of your might. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, God, to move. We're going to pray. I just, just now, while praying, got a text, if, if you'll lift up Sister Trish Lowry. She's had two granddaughters in a wreck. Her 17-year-old granddaughter was killed. The 15-year-old is in the med. So can you pray for this family, God, in the name of Jesus? God, I can't comprehend. It's beyond my ability, oh God, to be able to understand. But God, I know that you're able to somehow comfort and touch touch Sister Trish and touch this family, oh God. Touch this 15-year-old girl. Oh Lord, I plead your blood over this family and I ask you, Lord, that peace that passes understanding. Somehow the Holy Ghost would minister to them, God. In the name of Jesus, I ask you, Lord, God, to do a thing that only you can do. God, we'll thank you because you are a very present help in the time of trouble. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, meet and greet. If you are a guest or you have a guest, if you'll please help them find the discipleship room. God bless you and you're dismissed in Jesus' name. 6.30 tonight, Bishop Holmes.